Hello, Logic friends. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. These guys have been my reseller for over 15 years, and we could not do what we do without them. They're fantastic partners, no matter what size your business. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. If you haven't signed up for the forum yet, do it now at forum.logic.tv. It is the number one place for flame artists. We have nearly a thousand users, lightning fast response times, and over 120,000 page views per month. Plus, you'll get access to the Logic Discord server for real-time audio and video chat. Sign up for free at forum.logic.tv. If you need me to adjust the microphone, just let me know. Yeah, at least you're like open to the notion of adjusting the microphone. Tim <laughs> like fought me on it, you know? <laughs> It was like a, it was like two feet away, and I was like, "Could you could you get a little closer?" He goes, "Do you really want me to sound like this?" I was like, "Yes, yes, we want to hear you." I married a. What can I say? Sorry, just kidding. I don't think there's any. <laughs> oh man, he can be such a dick. You know, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're all flame artists. We are. I wanted to ask you, like, right? Hold on. Oh, wait, here. wait, wait. I yeah. made a cheat sheet and I left it at my desk. One second. Grab it. Go for it. I was so nervous that you were going to ask me questions and my mind was going to go blank that I wrote down a few things. Let's get the um, important issues out of just out of the way, like right off the bat. Okay. Okay. Um, horizontal or vertical reels? Horizontal. Oh, amen, sister. Yeah. And I started on a Harry. It's a matter of choice. You started with vertical reels. Yeah. yeah. And you realized this is obviously the better way to go. I mean, this just makes sense. It does. This is the way people write and think. And, and God bless you. Uh, flame hotkeys, smoke hotkeys? Smoke. Really? Well, I have to use the same hotkeys as Tim. Otherwise, all is lost. Oh, okay. All right. That's actually, I'm going to make a note of that. Otherwise, <laughs> all is lost. That could be the great title for like a book. Otherwise, all is lost. No, otherwise, all is lost. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I would love to say we often help each other, but he often helps me. I need to be using his hotkeys. Otherwise, he gets really frustrated. So who was using flame first? Just shift J, Joanne. Just shift J. (laughs) (laughs) Just shift J. So who who got on flame first? Who's been on flame longer, I should say? You or Tim? It's neck and neck. Really? The truth is, is that we were working in the same company when Flame arrived, and I was timid, and he and Rick Spain were not. Mm -hmm. But we all worked on the same first project together. I think Tim mentioned a Club Met thing where he and Rick did a tango with the stars. But I, I did my first Flame spot in that same campaign, which was a wink in the sand. There was an overhead shot and the talent had drawn a smile, a giant smiley face in the sand. And I got to make the eye wink. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. He and Rick were more aggressive. Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated to hear about flame artist journey, you know, like the journey, your career journey. Nobody, I mean, maybe it's different now, but especially back when we started, Nobody, when they were like seven years old, like, you know, when they were asked in elementary school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Never, no one ever said flame artist, you know? So what was your journey? How did you get from point A to point B? How did you get in front of a flame? The way I got in front of a flame 
I'll tell you the short version first, and that is that my I have three siblings that I adore, and the oldest one... And three that you hate, right? <laughs> no, just the three. <laughs> and the oldest one basically dragged me by the ear and set me down behind a paint box artist at Charlex, and I watched him do a retouch, and I swear to God, tears came to my eyes, and I thought, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I was just, I was about, my sister is um, seven years older than me, and she was one of the absolute first female recording engineers in the pop music industry. In the late 80s, she was working on a music video at Caesar Video Graphics, and she saw a paint box in use and a Harry. And she said, oh, Joanne, you have to do, oh, oh it's so cool. You'll love this. And um, I, was, I was an art snob. <laughs> I hadn't studied any graphics. I hadn't studied any design. Mm -hmm. Of course, I wasn't making any art either. I was, a, I was a cocktail waitress. And eventually, it turned out that her upstairs neighbor worked at Charlex. And her upstairs neighbor, whose name was Andrea D'Amico, brought me to Charlex and took me into a paint box session. And that's how it wow. happened. Yeah. And you saw a, a retouch happen for the first time? It was a Tropicana grapefruit juice label replacement. Aha. Uh -huh. And the flame, the flame suite, the paint box room was a, basically a closet with no lights. And they sat me down on a um, milk crate in the back. And I watched this person change the label. From then on, I went, my sister told me to get, what were they called? The industry rags? The, you know, like shoot. Oh, like the trade magazine? Tra like the, the trade, the trades. Like, yeah, like shoot and. And, um. I called up a company that was looking for interns. It was Caesar Video Graphics, where just by chance my sister had had her first paint box session. And the woman who answered the phone, she took my name and I asked her her name, and it turns out she was a friend from art school. <laughs> wow. I was an intern for two days, and then they fired the receptionist and fired my friend. Uh, moved the receptionist up into my friend's position, and I became the receptionist at Caesar Video Graphics. Wow. And that's how I became a, a flame artist. And Caesar Video had a paint box, a paint box Harry, and one edit suite, two edit suites, I can't remember. It was very small, and the people there were wonderful. Once it became clear that I was serious about learning paint box, because they paid so little. They paid me 200 bucks a week cash. So I was still waitressing at night, three or four nights a week. And I would go in on the weekends to learn the paint box. The people there, it, it was Rick Spain and Anne St. Pierre and also Bob Ressler. They were fantastic. And they, they, I was like 29, 28 at that point. And they took me under their wings and they taught me. Jill Crozen as well. She wasn't staff, but she was one of their freelancers. And they taught me, you know, how to how to make a mat <laughs> and how to use wow. it. And how, you know, and St. Pierre told me that the pieces had to fit together exactly like a jigsaw puzzle with no no space in between. And and uh, I was there for two years. Wow. So you mentioned art school. Mm. Where did you go to school and what did you study? What kind of artist did you want to be? <laughs> I didn't know I wanted to be an artist. I went to Oberlin College in Ohio, took my first ever art class, and decided this was it, because the other classes weren't for me. The academics were not. I wasn't being a good student, <laughs> uh, which means I was getting Bs. By my family's standards, I was slipping fast, because mm -hmm. 
Uh, I was a straight A, straight arrow kind of kid. But my parents, God bless them, couldn't really afford Oberlin. And if I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist, which is what they really wanted, then they weren't going to pay for it. And I fought with them for two years. It was a very, very uh, difficult time in my life because I'd always been a very obedient kid. And ultimately, the ultimatum to me, I said, can I swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah. I said, fuck you. I took them up on their ultimatum and I moved to New York where my big sister lived. And within a year, I'd say after a year, I applied to the School of Visual Arts and I did four years of art school in the early 80s, from 1980 to 84. And in those years, they didn't really teach you anything in art school. They didn't teach you how to draw. (laughs) They didn't teach you how to paint. (laughs) They taught you how to think and how to see art and talk about art. It was a blast. And I paid for the whole thing by waitressing in a jazz club. I did that before art school, during art school, and after art school. Wow. I was steeped in the jazz world. I saw amazing jazz musicians live in a little room for, you know, three or four nights a week for my entire 20s, my entire 20s, from the time I was 20 to the time I was 31, when I finally quit. Wow, that's amazing. It kind of is. I saw Dizzy Gillespie. I saw Sarah Vaughan. I saw Abdullah Ibrahim. I saw... Gil Evans, I saw Doc Cheatham, I saw Winton Marsalis, I saw the other Marsalis brothers, I saw, what's his name, Art Blakey. That was my education. Did this influence your, like, your, your art at all, or the, the, the kinds of work that you did? Or Absolutely. I love jazz. Do you play any instruments? Do you sing? I had 11 years of piano lessons and nine years of flute lessons. That's one of the reasons I went to Oberlin was so that I could keep up my musical abilities. But I was not a good musician. Mm-hmm. And, and the uh, music lessons at Oberlin were humiliating Ugh. because uh, I was so bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> I, I was a very, very sheltered, innocent, naive kid when I went off to college. And as soon as I got out from the house, everything changed. Mm-hmm including not enjoying college and fighting with my parents and all that. Wow. So you end up in New York. Yeah. Right? You get your job as a receptionist uh, at Caesar Video. You're waitressing yeah. at night to make ends yeah. meet yeah. and pay your pay. I don't know if they were student loans or just pay your tuition. I had student loans. And you, you remember your very first job, and that was on the Harry, right? On the paint box Harry. It was a paint box first. Or just a straight up paint box. Okay. Yeah. One of their big clients was Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. It was early MTV days. I learned Harry by doing rotoscoping. <laughs> I, you know, I just, they were really, wow. they gave me a shot and I went for it. And I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Was there, what was your breakthrough moment? Management realized that you had no place being a receptionist anymore. They could make money off of you as opposed to being a liability. Do you remember what that was? I was pretty stupid about all of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting this offer from Post Perfect, where one of my mentors, Anne St. Pierre, had gone. You know, she said, we need a junior flame artist. And they, they made me an offer, and I didn't really want to go. And I went to the boss, and I, you know, I said, look, they've made this offer. And he was like, fuck you, get out of here, you know? Oh, wow, really? And, yeah. And Rick Spain took me aside and said, you know, Joanne, it's a bad week. It's a bad week money-wise. If you had waited until the company was more flush, of course they would have matched this offer and kept you. But I was clueless. Mm-hmm. So I went to Post Perfect. Wow, okay. So you went to Post Perfect. And that Perfect was State. 1989. 
Mm-hmm. And there was no flame there yet. Yeah, it was, no, it we're was still a couple hairy. years away. Yeah. So you were a junior there. Did you start at night? Did, were you just like assisting someone? I was doing stuff. Don Butler was the staff hairy guy, and Anne St. Pierre was there. A lot of day sessions, a lot of night sessions. It was all whatever, whatever it took. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did my first retouching. There was a very, very brilliant effects guy named Tim Farrell there who taught me how to... I've heard of him. <laughs> taught me how to use the kaleidoscope cats. to do, do um, frame-by-frame tracking. Mm-hmm. He was amazing. Somebody booked me once on a session to do a special effect. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a ta- it was a giant tablet, and it needed a laser to shoot into it. And there were, there were clients there, and I had never done anything like that in my life. I had mm-hmm. no <laughs> idea how to make a laser. You know, and Tim Farrell just, I didn't get into any trouble. Nothing bad happened. He just appeared. Mm -hmm. Like he, he saw everything that was going on. He just appeared, sat down beside me and made the laser. Mm -hmm. It was kind of magical that way. He was so good. How could I not fall in love with him? I was going to say, how could you not fall in love with him? Much like the laser, Tim Farrell (laughs) just appeared, you know? And the client was happy. And then, uh, I mean, I'm seeing it now like a, like a late 80s rom-com. Hardly. Where there hardly. was like stress in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the workplace there and the client was getting frustrated. And, you know, Joanne was worried. And then Tim comes in and, you know, saves the day. The client is happy. And then he turned to you and said like, you know, are you, are you free for dinner or something like that? Or, <laughs> or it might have been breakfast at that point if it was, uh, you know, a typical 80s all nighter. in it. I don't want to be a drag, but so didn't go like that. Really? I'm oh, shocked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Life isn't a rom-com. Go figure. The guy was married. Uh, he was having babies. Wow. He already had his first child when I started working at Post Perfect, but we were workmates when he had two more kids and moved to the suburbs. And we were workmates when his marriage fell apart. We were workmates when he started dating the company Hottie, who was not me. Wow. Yeah. It was not, not rom-com material at all. All right. Well, then, Len, let's slam on the brakes. For the benefit of the children, the youngsters, I shouldn't say children, the younger generation (laughs) that are listening to this, what is a paint box, Harry? What is a paint box? Who the hell's Harry? And what happened to Hal? I would not be here if it wasn't for the paint box because it was a very simple system. You could choose the size of your brush. You could pick colors off a palette. You could decide if your brush was going to be chalk, airbrush, or line. If your shape was going to be a rectangle or a circle, <laughs> no Bezier curves. Yep. And it was really simple. There wasn't photo, it was before Photoshop or before Photoshop became well known, certainly. I was, I loved it. I just, I just ate it up. Mm-hmm. And I guess it appealed to the fine artist in you as well because you could draw, you could paint, right? Yeah. Well, for me, and this remains true to the ver- this very day, it's a perfect blend of left brain, right brain activities. It's about logic and organization, and it's also highly, highly creative. Mm-hmm. But my point about the paint box being such a simple tool is that that was 1987, and I'm no technical wizard. I'm no Andy Milkus. I'm no Tim Farrell. Mm. I, I grew with the software. Every year, there was a new release. Every year, a new module or a new thing to learn. And I really admire the youngsters these days, because if I had to walk into a system like the Flame and learn it cold, it's hard. I mean, now there's tutorials and groups like Logic where you can get help. But back then, there were just kind people who would show you if they thought they, you know, it was going to be worth it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. 
Right, so that was Paintbox. What, that what was, was paint Paintbox box. Harry? Am I wrong here? But I think the Harry held 90 seconds worth of material. Does that sound crazy? I think you might be right. I can't remember. It was a rudimentary editorial graphics system. Mm -hmm. It had no DVE. <laughs> yep. Digital video effects device, right. DVE. It was like a paint box, but it had a storage device. So you could save frames essentially and, and play them back, right? Well, you could save your frames in the paint box. Mm -hmm. Paint box did have storage. Oh, yeah, the size yeah. Of I mean, a giant... I mean, like, like play yeah. it as a play it out as a clip or something. Yeah. So we would like make a pass that was thirty seconds. Maybe it would be composed of two or three layers, and then we would lay it off onto digital tape, mm -hmm. and then we would pull it back in, and then work on it more. And there was no archive button; everything was manual. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing how far everything's come. And. Ugh. Not long after I went to Post Perfect, I, I I don't know if they did this for me or I just got lucky, but they got a Hal, mm -hmm. and I got really good on the Hal. I could make that Hal sing. I, I had a lot of clients. I was doing really well. And at that point, this was the early '90s. I was doing Hal, Henry, and Flame, and I could go back and forth on all three platforms. What did the Hal give you that the Harry didn't have? First of all, no one else wanted to use it, so I didn't oh, have to okay, but it was that advantage, yes. fight anybody for it. <laughs> I don't know. It was just it was just a very natural creative tool for me. Mm -hmm. Technically, what did it have? I can, you know, I'm sure I couldn't run one now if you put me in front of one. <laughs> <laughs> right? There'd be like a flash of nostalgic, oh, I love that, I remember this, and then you just get frustrated and walk away. Yeah. I remember that the mat was embedded in the clip on a separate layer. Mm -hmm. It was a horizontal timeline and you could see, I, I honestly don't remember. Well, you got on Flame then. I mean, you got into, into Post at this time, but since this happens to be the Logic podcast, you got into Flame at, I still refer to as like the golden age where everything was new. Every job was new. Every time you did something, it was the first time you did it. Yeah. Uh, you were constantly breaking new ground. Do you remember any of those milestone jobs as you got on the flame at, at Post Perfect? Yes. Well, specific, I don't remember specific jobs. It's a bit of a blur, but what I do remember was that there was no undo button. <laughs> there was that, yes. There was no undo button. So if you had an action set up and you, you deleted your action node by mistake, you were hosed. Yes. You know, you had to redo it. <laughs> oh, Yes. I remember like in those days doing wire removal for the first time and mm. I mean, it's, it's all flashing into my head now. I remember doing a job where there was a professional football, it was for Gillette, Emmett Smith, I think it was a professional football player. And he had, he was supposed to be there with like four bulldogs or something, you know? And of course it was only one dog and they shot the dog separately and they just kept moving the dog into different positions. They'd move the dog three or four feet or something, you know, and we would cut the dogs out and then they were now in front of him, but we needed to make leashes that went from his hand. He was holding nothing. He was holding like the strap. We had to make leashes that went from the strap to the collars around all these dogs and they were hand animated, extended by cubics, you know, or I guess by cubics, <laughs> there were no extended by cubics at the time, but it was things like that. With keyframing and motion blur, things right. you just never did before. I remember doing blue screen and green screen that I'd never even attempted before. I remember doing 
was a commercial for Dr. Pepper. And there was a scene that was supposed to be like viewed through binoculars. And so I had to make the scene look like it was through binoculars. It was the shot of like a space shuttle on the pad. And so I made two circles and intersected them and then blurred that to make the mat, you know, for the, the binoculars effect. But then I wanted uh, the image to kind of bounce and weave because when you're looking through binoculars, nothing's stable. Right, right. I couldn't animate it properly, no matter how hard I tried with keyframes and everything. I couldn't get anything that looked like a natural, like shaky hand. So in the machine room, we had a title camera, just a cam- video camera pointing down so you could shoot something and record it to tape if you needed to, like a, a title. I grabbed uh, my the, the Wacom pen. I zoomed in all the way. I hit record. I'm, I'm actually holding up two fingers with the camera right now so Joanne can see that I was pushing play and record. <laughs> <laughs> to hit record on the tape machine. And I took the tip of the, the Wacom pen and I put it underneath the lens of the camera and tried to hold it still. Ah. And, you know, like I tightened every muscle in my hand and I'm actually doing this in camera yeah, for Joanne yeah, yeah. right now. And it had this little shade. And then I, I recorded that and then I went back into the flame room and I connected to the VTR and then I loaded that in and then I tracked the tip of that pen and that was how I got that natural thing. But every single job was like this. Right. Every task had, you were asked to do something and it was like, okay, I've never done anything even remotely like that before, but okay. Everything was a process of like discovery and figuring things out. And I just, I absolutely feel blessed that I got into this business at, at that time. Yes. Yes. I feel like I was so just stupid lucky to have walked into this business at such a high end. Mm-hmm. Right? To, you know, to immediately be making television commercials and stuff. You might not believe this, but it's true. When I got <laughs> the job, when I started working at Caesar Video in 1987, mm-hmm. I didn't own a television. I hadn't owned a television since I'd left my parents' house 10 years earlier. I didn't realize that we were making TV. It took me about three months to understand what this was all about. I just <laughs> loved the I just loved the paint box. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really oh, had no great. idea. I didn't know what Nickelodeon was. I didn't know what Nick at Night was. I, I didn't know any of the new cable. I hadn't had a TV since cable. It was pretty that's really embarrassing. I shouldn't have told you that. that <laughs> that's how that's how dopey I was about the whole thing. I just loved the computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're. I I remember I took a job. My first job was at a place called Rut Video. I don't know if you remember Steve Rutt. It was upstairs from Caesar. Oh, it was. Yes. Well, then can you and explain what was on like the third floor? There was there was like it was at one twenty five East twenty fifth, right by the yeah. Armory. Yeah. On off Alex. Of yeah. How do I describe this? Uh, there was an establishment on like one of the floors that was you know like an escort service or something. <laughs> it was it was weird shit like. <laughs> You know, you'd go down and like the elevator would open up and there'd be like, you know, beaded curtains and like, you know, weird lights and everything. Yeah, it was a simpler time. I, <laughs> I, Caesar was on the second floor, so I never had to go up. Oh, I didn't know that. I think we were on like the ninth and the tenth floor, Rut video. Oh. If I remember correctly. What years were you at Rut? I was there 96, 97, oh. 90, yeah, 96, 97. Oh, so like Caesar that. was gone by then, I think. Oh, okay. Could be. Or maybe even a little bit earlier than that, 95, 96, 97, something like that. Huh. But I, I, I saw Flame and, and wanted to learn it. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to learn it. What were you doing there? I got a job as an assistant engineer. Oh, um, okay. Because I knew how to open up a computer, like a Mac, right. and reformat the hard drive. So they had a big like avid rental business. So my job was to take in the machines that were coming back from rental, re- reformat them, clean them up, 
get him ready to go back out again. And we were working on a movie, a Woody Allen film called Everyone Says I Love You. I worked on that movie. Did, did you work on well? There was a three-minute scene or something, like shot <laughs> on Woody like Allen and Goldie Dancing along Hawn. the river? Dancing. Okay, my God. We're now finding out like 25 years later that Joanne and I worked on the same thing. And so- yeah. Yeah. We were so apparently like they were over, but we were just behind schedule. So they asked me if I wanted to work the midnight to eight in the morning shift. And I was 22. And of course I wanted to work the midnight to of eight course. on a movie. Yeah. Of course. And it was absolutely. a Woody Allen movie. And it was yeah. rig removal, right? Yeah, exactly. It was removing exactly. the cable. It was removing the cables. I remember the, the flame artist there during the day showed me how to specifically do like these four tasks, you know? <laughs> how to draw a mat and how to stabilize. And I, I mean, I, I, okay, you know, but that was, that was the opportunity. That was it. I would work all night and I would get X number of frames done and it went well. And then after that was over, it was, well, what else can we put you on? Wow. I had no idea. That's how you started. But you worked on that too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh that that shot was spread around town. It was, I it think it was, was. Doug, Doug Diamond was in That's charge. That's who taught me. That's who taught me at, uh, at ah. Rutt. Doug Diamond. Yeah. Man, he changed my life. Absolutely. He what showed a great me, guy he was. Is. He showed me that I, in, in a, everybody else, I'm using a gross generalization here, but it wasn't that gross. Uh, everyone else that I encountered in my career up to that point who was experienced was afraid to show me anything because you know they were, there was the fear that the young guy is going to come and take my job, like that kind of, wow. that kind of thing. And Doug wow. wanted to go home at six o'clock. So he right. just showed me everything. He right. had confidence. I wasn't going to steal his job. I was going to make his job better. And that made such an impression on me as a young artist that when I got older and, and, and worked more and started to have other artists working with me or working for me or whatever, that was always the approach that I took. I was never intimidated that this person is going to come and take my job. If I can teach somebody to do something that will help me you know, whether it's roto or cleanup or prepping a job or doing the conformer, all these core like tasks and techniques that you need to, to have in order to be an artist. If I could teach them those things, then I can, I can move on to other things. It, but he's just a wonderful guy. Yeah. And we still yeah. keep in touch to this day, Doug. Yeah. But yeah, that shot, I mean, I remember that job. You're right. It was spread around town. Yeah. And if you think about the, again, this is 90, 96 or something, you know, the technology that we had back then to be able to even spread a job around town. Right. On nine gigabyte hard drives that were like the size of a shoebox that we would, you know, pass around from facility to facility. Yeah. Oh, man. So how long were you at Post Perfect? I was there from 89 to 2000. Wow. Really? 11 years. Yeah. That's a great run. Yeah. Wow. They closed not long after I left mm -hmm. and I got fired after 11 years. Because at that point, I was working part-time. I was mm -hmm. working three days a week. Somewhere in the mid-90s, I decided that I needed to be an artist, a fine artist, I should say, as opposed mm -hmm. to a digital artist. And they told me, you know, they didn't want to lose me. And they told me if I could find somebody to share my job with me, I could do it. So I did it. It worked out great for me. It was wonderful having a three-day-a-week job. Didn't work out so well for the company. We were not, you know, it was not a seamless thing. And it didn't mm -hmm. work out that well. And when the company started going under, uh, they started letting go of uh, part-time people first, obviously. And so I went freelance in 2000. And not long after that, I worked with you, right? At Black mm -hmm. Logic. Yeah. Oh, my God. That had to be 2000 because I, I left there in 2000, if I remember correctly. I think I was there from like 97 to 2000. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. But you wow. were there. Alan was there. Yep. Karen Tim Stewart. Karen Stewart. Karen Stewart. 
I didn't know Tim Crean. I missed Tim Crean. Brian Benson was there. Mm-hmm. Yep, Brian Benson, Patrick. Patrick Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah, I did some Amazing. fun jobs there. They mm-hmm. they were they had every confidence in me. That was a great place. It was for me. It was my was my first staff job. It was a great place to learn. We had I mean at its peak there were five flame artists there, and each one of us came from a different background. Right? Tim was a skateboarder, and <laughs> and Patrick you know Patrick was a photographer. Alan had been an, an editor in a you know an online suite forever, and everybody brought a different discipline. Right. And I was Jewish, so every- <laughs> no, I went to film school. Um, but, but everybody. Well, and speaking in- of wonderful, generous people, Michelle Suisa was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Do you know he was at Caesar when I was there? I didn't know that. When My I God, was it's at like we were, it's like we were on parallel paths <laughs> for like ever. Caesar Video imported him from Paris while I was there. Wow. So you're at Post Perfect, and towards the end there, you made the decision to go part-time to start devoting or you know, devoting yourself to doing fine art. Tell me a little bit about your, your art career. It's very personal, but in my heart of hearts, I feel like I have two careers and that I've done them both half-acidly because <laughs> I can't that devote- so beautifully honest. <laughs> I can't devote myself fully to either one. I love them both. I need them both. It's not an either or kind of thing. Because flame is in the realm of commercial art, you get feedback and you get somebody can t- tells you if you're doing a good job or not. So I've always been much, much more confident about being a flame artist than I have about being a fine artist. I sort of have came into my own about some in the last 10 years I won a highly coveted NIFA award it's a mm-hmm. grant for fine artists from New York state and I got picked up by a gallery so I I feel much more established as an artist now than I used to in the 90s when I decided I was going to start taking it seriously so what kind of art do you do what kind of art do you make what kind of artist are you I'm an abstract artist the work that I do looks like paintings it looks like a painting. It hangs on the wall. You can interpret it however you want, but they're not paintings and they're not painted. I work with uh, beeswax. Wow. They are poured beeswax. To back up a few minutes, mm-hmm. I've always been a collage artist. I've always been layering things together. And what my current work is, and I've been doing it for about 20 years now, is layers of beeswax and other media with stuff collaged in between. What I find fascinating is the way flame and compositing has informed my fine art stuff. It's all about surfaces and trans mm-hmm. translucencies and filters and and layers. And, I was and just, layers. I was just going to say uh, when, when you described that that I can see why compositing always appealed to you. I can see why I went into that paint box suite, you know, at the very beginning of the career and saw uh, and saw a label replacement, even you know, or even were exposed to the first concepts of working with mats and everything and how they have to be perfect. That that could totally appeal to the artist in you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people who uh, say that they, like I know com- uh, uh, directors who work on commercials, not because they want to, but because they have to, you know, like they want to be making their films, but they work on commercials because that's, because their films don't make money, you know, right. or that's not, or they need right. to make money on the commercials to make the films. Do you have that relationship with your art or is it more, you know, maybe the 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 commercial stuff isn't as creatively fulfilling but the fine art is more creative feeling, or is it really a left brain, right brain thing? Are they, are they, are they really two separate things for you? That's a really hard question to answer. There are certain flame jobs that I love and find so rewarding. 
I love doing beauty work. I love doing cleanup and retouch. I find it so rewarding. I don't know. It's very black and white. Either either it looks good or it doesn't. That said, I can't afford to be a fine artist without earning money. So it's not as black and white as as all that. I need to earn money, but I would miss it if I wasn't doing it. And what I've been doing, now that uh, I'm getting older, is I've been (laughs) trying to work less. Mm -hmm. Tim and I downsized a few years ago. You know, the kids are out of the house. Our overhead is low and very containable. So I try and work less and have a better balance of flame work and fine artwork. Doesn't always work. As you know, you can't really control these things. But these days, I like to say I curate my clients. Ooh. I'm hesitant to work for people I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I do. I like to I like to be able to enjoy the work and not be stressed out about it. And if I know the clients and they know me, and if they trust me, mm-hmm. then I'm very relaxed and I can enjoy it. Oh, that's great. One other thing I'd like to say is that I couldn't pull this off without Tim. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, you if you don't use the software every day, you lose it. You you forget your hotkeys, you forget this or that. And being married to a flame artist is awesome. If I can't remember, like, there's so many things I forget every time I come back to flame when I haven't been on it for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. I can just call him up and, you know, he'll bitch at me, but he'll tell me what <laughs> what I need to know. He said, That's so great. Know, I was wondering... I, I was actually, I, I didn't know how much to ask about, you know, the, the you and Tim and the dynamic and clearly anything's on the table <laughs> since we opened with, with he's an asshole. Uh, I, I was wondering, I was worried, like, you know, sometimes I, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a, of a trope or something, you know, that if you have two people who, uh, if you have two lawyers who are married together, uh, right. sometimes they, they, their heads, you know, there's, there's competition and uh, it's great to hear that you, that you are so compatible. Maybe it's because you're two different types of flame artists. I think it's that, but also we met working together. I mean, that's we worked together for almost 10 years before we got together as a couple. Mm-hmm. We knew each other really, really well because you know the kind of hours you work. You know, I would stay oh, yes. up all night with him doing this and doing that. And so I knew him really, really well. And we do do different kinds of jobs. But really, he's so brilliant, I could never threaten him. <laughs> professionally <laughs> that's amazing and what I, I was lurking when you were interviewing him and he was saying how he wasn't very generous with giving out tips and tricks in the old days but that's not true he taught me yeah you so told us the much. laser story i mean that's amazing right, right to me the most amazing thing about the laser story isn't that he did it it's that he he knew i was going to be in trouble before there was any trouble it's like he was, I don't, I, I just imagine he was like in the scheduling office because we used to have a scheduling office with paper schedules. Sure. And he saw my name and this session and he thought, oh boy, she doesn't know how to do that. And he just appeared. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Tim said on uh, the, the interview I did with him that uh, he, he has no plans to retire. You know, as long as he can keep doing it and keep getting paid to do it, he's just going to keep going. Do you feel the same way? I'm conflicted. I think I will keep working as long as people will keep paying me to do it, but I don't think I will try as hard to keep up as Tim does. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of see myself easing towards the sunset due to lack of effort. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I hear what you're saying though. Like you have found segment of this crazy business that you thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. You know, the retouching and and the beauty work and that's not going away. And I do a ton of that stuff too. And I, I find it rewarding. I love it. Yeah. Because for me, it's something that's always changing. And I, I, I'm, what I mean by that is like the, the client's expectations are constantly changing. You and I have been doing this beauty work long enough. That's where we work. That, now I now remember our first session together. Oh my God. At Black Logic, it was Melanie Griffith, and it was like a L'Oreal spot. And and she, for no reason that I mean, she clearly didn't get this passed by her handlers. She gave the the agency a photograph of her unmade up, like. And this was like recently after you know tremendous amounts of plastic surgery. <laughs> And uh, we were in the room going like, oh my God, like, you know, we had, we had to clean up the before to make it an acceptable before. Wow. Okay. Sorry. It all comes rushing. It's, it's, this is neurons in my brain that haven't fired in, you know, 20 years. But anyway, what I was saying is that like, we, we, we've been doing this long enough to, to have, you know, seen the client's expectations for beauty work wax and wane from like full on Barbie doll to like (laughs) completely natural. Yeah. And it's. It's more work to make it look like you've done less. So it's more of a challenge. So I thoroughly enjoy it. But it seems like it, it, what I was saying before I had this mental explosion of, of a flashback was, uh, you know, you seem to have settled into a, a segment of the work that you thoroughly enjoy. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. Right. Right. I, I mentioned I like to, I, about curating clients. I do do all kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. I'll take pretty much anything that comes my way. And the last I'm on a hiatus right now. I'm taking a little studio vacation mm-hmm. that started on December 27th. But the, the last job that I did was two new things that I had never done before. One, it was an ACES job. I had never done an ACES job. And it was shotgun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And let me say, the crew was... So nice. They were great people. And the person in charge was somebody I'd known since the 90s, which is why I took the job, having never worked for them before. I was the flame artist for six weeks. It was a 30-second spot, and it wasn't finished at the end of six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So do you blame Aces or Shotgun for that? I'm going to not say anything <laughs> more other than that this That's the, all the time we have for this <laughs> conversation with Joanne. It, it was really, Shotgun was wild. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at the end of six weeks, I understood it well enough to be able to do it again. But oof. not only was it an, an ACES job, but the creative director messed up mm-hmm. and all the different vendors were all working in different color spaces. Oh, so it was a messy ACES job. Every shot had to be parsed and looked at visually to figure out what was the right color setting for it. Oh, dear. Blah. So two new things all at once. I thought, oh, man, I am too old for this. <laughs> and then throw in the remote factor of everybody working remotely and nobody seeing the same color twice and yeah. everybody seeing things different. And it was pretty wild. What are you doing on your studio break? So 2021 started out very slowly. And so I felt like for the, once work started to pick up, I felt like I had to take everything. And I ended up working a ton in 2021 and getting very frustrated. I gave myself a three-month studio sabbatical. 
that started on January 1st. I'm currently working on a series that involves using COVID test kit boxes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I'm on Instagram at Joanne Unger. You, I've, I've been posting a lot. And also, I just got lucky and I got an intern for six weeks. Oh, A perfect. studio intern. Bennington College has a six-week January term where their students get to choose individual project of their own making. And I got a sophomore at Bennington who's a fine artist who wanted to work with an artist in her studio. So I have a six-week assistant. Brilliant. I, I give her lunch money every day. And that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. So it's a, it's a productive time for me in my studio. Oh, that's great. My clients have started calling and it's very, very hard for me to turn them down. Mm -hmm. So far, I am, but I don't feel good about it. <laughs> but I need this time. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. They'll be there. Also, I have a website, joanneunger.com, if anybody wants to see my artwork. Oh, cool. It's a lot of wax. <laughs> Well, Joanne, I hope that the that the studio break is everything you need it to be. Thank you. Joanne, you mentioned in the course of our conversation, all the people along the way who helped you, who yes. mentored you, all the yes. artists at Caesar Video, and then even Tim, when you got to Post Perfect, and that was Anne St. Clair, right? Was that another Saint one? St. Pierre. Your, I'm sorry, St. Pierre. Who's that? She's a filmmaker now. Let me ask the question of you. Have you paid that back? to any of the younger generation that you've met along the way? I try really hard to pay it back. I try to be as generous as I can. And I don't know whether it's the right thing to do or not, but I'm always very encouraging of young women in the industry. When I came up, it was always such a boys club. There were very few women role models for me. And so when, when I can't do a job and the client says, oh, can you give me some names? 90% of the people that whose names I give them are women. It's almost hard to remember because I've been working remotely from home for so long. But when I was in facilities and there were young women interns, I always was in, as encouraging as possible to them. And I've seen them come up, surpass me, and go on to great things. And it's a wonderful feeling. Amanda, what's her name? Amanda? She Amalfi? Was Amanda Amalfi. Mm -hmm. and uh, Jamie Ross. Oh, yes, absolutely. I love Jamie. And Molly... Molly uh, Tomacek? Mol yeah, Tomasek? Molly Tomacek. Tomacek, Tomacek. Mm -hmm. And others. You know, I met them all when they were very, very baby beginners. <laughs> you know, I tried to be as encouraging as I could and as helpful as I could. You know, most of them didn't need anything from me, but if they did, I was generous. And uh, I, I recommend people like that all the time. Oh, that's great. I recommend... Men uh, as well. But what I've noticed over the years is that there's a bit of a gender gap. And the people that recommend me are women. I know very few men who will recommend me for a job. I don't know what that's about. But I guess it just kind of started irking me. So I mostly recommend women. Cool. And I have just recently got the daughter of a friend of mine a uh, starting position, an entry-level position. She was a you know recent college graduate. And I've gotten other friends' daughters' uh, internships before. I do my best to try and empower young, interested women to the best of my ability. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk. Thank you. I hope you will be ruthless as an editor and cut out all the stupid things that I said. Please. I, 
There's nothing to, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing to cut out. <laughs> this is pure perfection. It was gold. Uh, well, thanks, Joanne. I sure, appreciate thank it. you, Andy. Good luck with everything. I'm so glad you're doing this. This is wonderful. Thank oh, you. Thanks. Thank you. See you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Everyone knows that Boris FX makes the best plugins in the business. Mocha, Sapphire, Silhouette Paint, Continuum, and the new Optics. You can save 15% on all of Boris FX plugins, either standalone or subscription, by using the code LOGIC-15 at checkout. That's capital L, lowercase o-g-i-k, dash one five at checkout. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by Cinesis.io. To find out more about their remote workflow solutions, check them out at Cinesis.io. See you next time.